Hello there, guys and dolls. Here at episode 15, we are approaching the last few episodes of Tales of Times Square, the tapes. Then we will announce a brand new season of Black Cracker Presents, expanding the horizons into rare and unheard interviews with the likes of Mario Puzo, Doc Pomus, Jerry Lieber, Lou Reed, and even Keith Ferguson. But I've got something special for those who sign up on our podcast website at blackcracker.fm. That would be four mini-episodes of Tales of Times Square, the tapes, only available to you fine insider people who sign up at blackcracker.fm, where we have photos of the Broadway characters you've been hearing. Now, let's travel back to old New York. I was stalking hoes in the center of town. Check it out, right here. This is Show World Center. Welcome to Tales of Times Square, the tapes. I'm Josh Allen Friedman. Hello, my good friend Josh. Listen, this is Bob Anthony. Next door, the Pussycat Burlesque is no longer a burlesque. They turned it in, into an S&M club. Also, they stiff. Uh, Raven Delacroix, they didn't give her her full salary, and she's up in arms about it, and she says something about getting even with them. See, I told you, Josh, it was no burlesque show. They could never make it. They're going into an S&M now, so it's up to you now. I love you. Bye. That was a message from Mr. Burlesque in 1982. I'm not sure what he meant by, it's up to you unless he thought I was the defender of legit burlesque. In episode three, we covered Bob Anthony, Mr. Burlesque, a co-owner of the Melody Theater in Times Square. He came up in showbiz as Frank Sinatra's right-hand man in the early days. In episode seven, we covered Manny Rosen, a contender for the lightweight championship in 1928, who toasted bagels at the stage delicatessen for decades before becoming Bob Anthony's right-hand man at the Melody. Today, we visit with Al Cronish, the other part owner of the Melody Burlesque. Al Cronish, a conservative accountant who lived in Westchester, was born in 1918 and was an artillery gunner in World War II. He was a great fan of Minsky's burlesque when he was 18 years old, his favorite strippers being the great Sherry Britton and June Marsh. But by the time he was 19 or 20, Mayor LaGuardia declared burlesque obscene and outlawed it in New York in 1937. Fourteen theaters went out of business forever. Even the word burlesque was banned in New York. Cronish had to go to the Empire in Newark, New Jersey, or the Globe in Atlantic City, 
or to Union City, New Jersey, or even Philly or Baltimore, any town with a population of 100,000 had a burlesque theater, except New York. Dating or even speaking to one of those strippers seemed beyond possibility. It wasn't until the 1960s, in the wild new topless or go-go days, when burlesque began creeping back into Times Square. But when Bob Anthony and Al Cronish opened the melody, burlesque returned with a bang and became a gynecological phenomenon. Now, in 1982, sitting at Bernard's Bar across the street from the melody, where all the strippers and porn stars find safe haven, Al Cronish deals with the jealousies, phobias, and menstrual cycles of a hundred strippers. He is the first certified public accountant to do taxes for sex stars during what we now call the golden age of pornography. Guys from his era usually referred to marriage like it was some medical condition. I can't do that. I'm a married man. But Al Cronish was a happily married man. How does your wife look at the melody? How does she view it? Or how aware is she of it? Well, my wife is aware that I wind and dine as part of my job. As a matter of fact, when I go home, I think, when I, when I come home, like today, she'll say, did you take anybody out today? I said, no, it was with Josh. She knows that I have to wine and dine the girls as part of my job. Despite all this, uh, I never sleep away overnight. I'm home every night. Maybe a little late sometimes, but you never see me staying out overnight like some might. And uh, I personally feel that uh, within myself, I'm a good boy and I have nothing to be concerned about. Uh, if I were younger, <laughs> maybe uh, I'd get the urge to, to be really a bad boy, but. Uh, but I really, I really don't. I'm you satisfied. You get to a certain age, you just yeah, mellow I'm just out. Satisfied to, I'm mellow out, satisfied to wine and dine, be with the people. Matter of fact, sometimes when I'm with a porn star, even with my Christina, when we're walking arm in arm in the street, and usually when I'm walking down the street, the girls grab my arm and we walk. And I say, look, I'm very, to me, I'm very proud of the fact that you're with me. And if you recognize, I'm even more proud. But look at you, aren't you? feel? <laughs> And they quickly shut me up. They said, please, don't want to hear of it. That age has nothing to do with anything. I like you because you're, uh, because of your, you as a person. Not uh, because of your age or your looks. Tina Russell was one of the very first X-rated movie stars in the early 1970s, and the first, along with Jennifer Wells, to headline a burlesque stage at the Melody. She was the only porn star to die during the first dozen years of the industry of alcoholism in 1981 at age 32. She called Al Cronish at home every week and was even loved by Al's wife. Tina Russell, ex-porn star who is now deceased, was, she and I were very close. And on more than one occasion, Tina's boyfriend, whoever it was at the time, would be a foursome. Tina, her boyfriend, my wife, and myself. And so my wife uh, uh, knew Miss Russell very well. And uh, when she found out and I told her about that she died, she was completely heartbroken, heartsick over What happened to the girl she wanted to ask? Well, you know she was a drinker. I asked Al a stupid question, as if the answer wasn't obvious. What brings a guy to the Melody Burlesque as a fan or a customer? What do you, how do you see... Uh, a typical melody burlesque uh, 
fella. Fan. Fan. Likes to see pretty women. That's all naked. Be a pretty girl in the nude, dancing. And uh, also, uh, there are a lot of seniors that come to the melody, an awful lot of seniors. Yeah. And far be it for me to try to figure out they, why they're there. They, they're either lonely people, uh, they may be old men that never uh, could uh, have, relate with a woman. Uh, and they find this as an outlet for what they lacked uh, when they were young. In 1982, as we're talking, the NYPD's public morals squad was starting to bear down on the Melody Burlesque. They didn't approve of contact between old men and young dancers trying to scratch out a living. Enforced loneliness. Years later, Mayor Bloomberg would even take this a step further, closing down the last refuge for thousands of New York's lonely old men. He closed all the OTB parlors where seniors went to have coffee, hang all day, and make a few $5 bets. Because off-track betting was not quite profitable enough for the city. Meanwhile, back at Bernard's Bar, across the street from the Melody, the strippers come and go from the bar stools as their shifts come up on stage. Is that Bambi? That's what I thought. That, remember the movie Debbie Does Down? Yeah. And she did in the machine. Uh, I met her a few years ago. Dizzy. You say a little? <laughs> Why? Be one of our headliners. She likes Fred. You know? She likes my Fred. She likes who? Fred. My Fred. I tell you the big boy. Oh. She digs him. That's Bambi Woods, star of Debbie Does Dallas. She likes Fred, the big boss, says Al, as Bambi is chosen from her bar stool by a dapper gentleman. She digs him. Freddie's name was always spoken in a whisper. A lot of girls dig him. He's, he's a good looker, and he's, uh, I understand he's very gentle with the girls. This guy here? Fred, yeah. He's more of the boss than you want? The one that's the big boss, yeah. He's, uh, he's very well liked. I understand he's very gentle with the girls, says Al. I could tell that Mr. Burlesque, Bob Anthony, the public face of the melody, and accountant Al Cronish, who took care of the business, were deferential whenever Fred Sincati walked in. Their voices dropped to a whisper, like you just heard. It was a seven-year tightrope act before it blew open. Frederick Sincati was Assistant State Attorney General of New York in charge of prosecuting labor racketeering, who secretly owned the most wanton burlesque theater in Times Square, The Melody. His other quiet partner was Steve Katz, a construction company boss. Sincati also owned Bernard's, the bar across the street where all the strippers and porn stars hung. According to Dominique, Bob Anthony's mistress, who spoke to the Rialto Report, Freddie came up quietly, grabbed any girl he wanted off the stage, and disappeared with her. He was dealing coke to all the dancers. It was his fiefdom. To give you a sense of Broadway and 48th Street, the whole block across from the Melody Burlesque contained the giant Pussycat Theater Complex and peep shows, owned by Big Mickey Zaffirano and Matty the Horse Ionello. That was the Bonanno family, and they owned about 80 porn establishments and bars. Matty the Horse was head of the Amalgamated Transit Union 
and the bus driver's local 1181. He was later convicted of labor racketeering, construction bid rigging, and extorting money from school bus companies and garbage carting firms. What is it about garbage trucks that so attracts the mob? Big Mickey himself dropped dead of a heart attack during an FBI raid in 1980, running through a secret tunnel below the Pussycat Theater, leading to his office across the street. Dominique also said that the young Harvey Weinstein was landlord of the Melodies building at 48th and Broadway. He demanded his rent in cash and came to collect every month. Dominique would have to sit in his lap and hand over $16,000 rent each month. Weinstein would eventually sell the building for $35 million to Holiday Inn, enough to start Miramax so he could call himself a film producer. Freddie Sincotti was arrested on charges of promoting prostitution at the Melody in 1982 and was fired from the state attorney general's office after 18 years. Freddie made a big point that he never took a cut of the girl's tips, but the judge was unimpressed. They tried to put him away for seven years. He beat the rap in a mistrial, but he lost his license to practice law. Assistant Attorney General Frederick Sincotti, who was gentle with all the girls, died of a heart attack at the age of 61 in 1996. It was on the steps of a Manhattan nightclub where he went to watch his 13-year-old son perform. His son is the great jazz pop star, Peter Sincotti. As an accountant uh, who does porn stars, what do they get to write off? What does a porn star write off? Oh, they have uh, costumes. They have maintenance of costumes. They have cosmetics, agents' fees, travel, uh, postage, stationery, advertising. Andy uh, wipes? <laughs> never thought of that, but Andy that wipes. Could. If they're dancing, yeah. yeah. But in addition to the 1040, since they're self-employed people, they have to file Schedule C. Schedule C is one who is self-employed, and it indicates their gross income and their business deductions, winding up with a net profit or a net loss. And also, whatever their profit is, they have to pay Social Security on the profit, which in 1981 was 9.3% uh, of the profit, not of the gross. Porn films were still in a semi-legal gray area. Actors could still be busted for obscenity. The business was emerging from the rat holes and shadows of mafia rackets. The idea of filing taxes was almost unheard of in the 1970s, which would effectively put the government in on the take. During the what they now call the golden age of porn, Al Cronish was the first accountant in New York to do porn stars' taxes, which helped evolve this shady enterprise into a professional industry, so to speak. Al Cronish's tax clients at that time, all of whom were headliners at the Melody Burlesque, were recognizable by their first names. Veronica, Samantha, Candida, and not this year, but last year, because they were in town, Gloria and uh, Desiree, Christophe. Ron Jeremy uh, asked me, but I said, he asked me like three days before the deadline. He said, get to me in February. I said, I don't make any appointments after March 1st. I'm booked, solid, after March 1st. You know, my boss, Al Goldstein, always complains because he can't write off hookers. 
claims that his hookers are research and testing, which they are. One of the ways the city of New York, under Mayor Koch, tried to take down the melody was by imposing a sales tax. The city wanted a quarter million in back taxes. In court, Cronish argued that performers in the musical Cats across the street at the Winter Garden sat in audience members' laps. Why couldn't they? It didn't play with the judge, but Cronish still prevailed and the melody won. They, they, the law says, and I know the law, that musical performances, you don't charge sales tax, the, ticket, the owners of the theater. And if it's a drama or a comedy, you have to charge sales tax on the ticket. Musical performances, no. Well, we're musical performances. So the guys came up here when they did the audit and all that, said, you're not musical performances, you're, you're pornography. If you call us a music, I said, this is music, melody. You, we, we can't operate without music, so what the hell do you call it? I says, who are you to say this is porn? You're, you're a sales tax man. You don't, nothing to, you don't decide what's porn and what's not. What's, no. I understand from our attorney that the lawyer who represented the state was such an asshole, he himself didn't even know what to say or do. And, and the judge awarded the, that we won. Speaking of music, the Melody Burlesque's announcer in the audio booth was an old MC named George. I always imagined his name to be Mumbles. He sounded like Tom Waits' grandfather, a professional mumbler. He introduced the big-bosomed headliners in a monotone. The Melody Theater Bradley welcomes to the stage the eighth and ninth wonders of the world, Miss Candy Samples. George was obsessed with Connie Francis. At the close of each night, after the theater cleared out, he sat alone in the audio booth, sobbing, probably over a bottle of booze, while Who's Sorry Now or Where the Boys Are played over the PA. Do you have an awareness of uh, the rest of Times Square or what's going on at Peep Shows? Or Me personally? Yeah. No, not at all, not really. I don't patronize any place. When I have free time, I come to the melody. I don't relate the melody to anything in, really in Times Square other than any form of entertainment that might be rated X. And a lot of the theaters that show uh, X-rated films came even after us. Like the Pussycat, for example, Circus Cinema. All came after we did. We were there first. There was a Mayfair down 47. There was another place on 46 where the Paramount Hotel is. You go down the fire stairs at the orchestra. Yeah. All these places had an orchestra. Anywhere from three to six pieces. And girls and comedians. Oh, you're talking about a long time Not ago. so long ago. Not so long ago. I can go back uh, maybe 12 years. That's it. Even 12 years ago they had that. They had that, yes. What happened? Or how did it Why? work? Why? Even less than that. And the Follies Theater. And a fellow by the name of Sam Cohen, he had a three-piece orchestra. And Bob was the manager at that time, too. Three-piece orchestra. Although the Melody Theater was the very last of the old-time burlesque shows, the old tradition with baggy-pants comedians and bump-and-grind orchestras died out long before. It was strictly gynecology and dollar-a-lick. 1940s burlesque star... Ann Corio tried to bring back the old days, but it just wouldn't play in Times Square of the 1970s. Why is it, um, why do you think there's, uh, New York can't handle a, um, 
like an old time burlesque theater with a live band and and uh, no performers. What? Why? Because, and when you say New York, you mean Manhattan. Manhattan, right? Right in here. But then Ann Corio tried. What was that? I missed that. I, I knew she would fail. It was like a. Enough to do it, but she wouldn't listen to me, and she failed in three weeks. She was out. What was the nature of that show? Old time burlesque. It was in a Broadway theater, though, wasn't it? Wasn't it? No, it was across the street in, the, in a, in a 400-foot, 400 400-seat 400 theater, 500-seats. But uh, nobody, not in Times Square. People are going to come to Times Square, they want raunch. If you want to, I, I told Ann, if you want to do this, you go in, in, in Queens, you go to Nassau, Suffolk, Westchester, if you can get the permission. You'll make money there. Couples. Don't come down this time with all the... Well, Broadway theaters flourish around here, yeah, so why can't like a... That's, that's been here before we were, though. That, that's all right. In other words, they automatically associate it with a sleazy place and only... You can't. You can't make it, and she didn't. In 1982, I remember some of the Melody strippers going up to work the Trans-Alaska Pipeline, a construction project that enriched many a Times Square hooker. Like a new gold rush, they moved to where the work was. There was a Friday night when I was supposed to go out for drinks with a couple of Melody Burlesque girls, but they had to cancel because of some shindig for cement union officials in the Bronx. Cement union officials were seen as powerful men. They ran fleets of cement trucks, and when they wanted their dick sucked out in the boroughs, those broads were there with bells and whistles. Nobody fucks with a cement union in New York City. Even Donald Trump bowed, because no one fancies being tossed into one of those cement mixers. As I mentioned previously in this episode, the same mafia captains who were in charge of pornography throughout Times Square also controlled labor unions. There's no telling how many unfortunate fossils are buried in the foundations of New York City skyscrapers. Surprise for future archaeologists. We have roughly... 45 to 50 house girls and stars uh, every week. Basically. Every week, yeah. And most stars get right. put twice a year. One thing I wanted to ask you is how girls get fired who work upstairs. What, what do they have to do? What would they? Be, what would be some conditions or Missing, some instances? Not showing up. Coming late uh, periodically or, or frequently, uh, being caught with uh, needles in their room. But the, mostly, the reason the girl gets fired are, uh, uh, I don't have to tell you, it's very obvious to recognize a girl who's on something. It's obvious. And when she is, uh, we. Uh, we fire her, or and we're not forever. We say till you cool off. A week, two weeks, maybe a month, uh, and they come back. You cool off. You want to work? You gotta be straight. The melody always took their errant strippers back. After all, they were naughty girls to begin with. I remember the melody burlesque in its prime as an honest joint with thousands of men. And even a lot of the girls had a rollicking good time. A little old Italian lady would come in and sell the strippers her handmade sequin bras. The salty sweat from stripping would eventually wear out the delicate fabric. There was no other place like it. 
the beloved but tough accountant, Al Cronish, who is a decorated World War II veteran, passed away in 1987. A Crown Plaza Hotel and M&M's World stands there at Broadway and 48th Street now. Well, my mother, she done told me and my father done told me My father told me too This is Josh Allen Friedman for Tales of Times Square, The Tapes. We'll see you next week on Old Broadway. Well, I work for a dollar, could not save a louse.